In Israeli pita, you can put everything, yes? Hummus, falafel, a schnitzel, french fries, salad inside, pickle inside, everything inside. From the Jewish Food Society, I'm Amanda Dell, and this is Schmaltzy. Today on Schmaltzy, a post-Passover episode with master baker Ori Schaft. Ori is the baker and owner of La Hamim Bakery in Tel Aviv and the co-founder of Bread's Bakery in New York. His recipe for challah will never fail you. Trust me. We'll hear Ori's original live story about how all the little voices in his head eventually led him to bread. And then he'll join me from Tel Aviv for a chat. Here's Ori from the Schmalti stage at the Museum of the Jewish People, where he shared his story at our first ever Schmalti event in Israel. I was born in Israel to a Jewish Danish parents who just made Aliyah from Copenhagen. My mom and dad Margit and Moritz were true Zionists, but they loved Denmark. They were torn, leaving behind the Danish culture they loved so much, so they brought Denmark with them to Israel. How did they do that? They insisted on talking Danish at home. Our furniture, food, silverware, design were all Danish. The house was very liberal, but was also strict about rules. Some of them were, you do not sit with a jacket in the living room. <laughs> Another one was, you introduce your friend politely to your parents when you bring them home. Believe me, never heard before in the neighborhood where I grew up. <laughs> and you actually, you clean your own room. So, um, and actually I remember the first day at school. My mom taught me how to prepare a sandwich, and this was my duty from there on. Each one of us kids had their chores in maintaining the house. At quite young age, my father taught me how to clean a bathroom, step by step, top to bottom, not missing a spot. When it was my turn, I, I did the best to please him and to do a really good job. However, inspection was harsh. <laughs> and yes, he always had something for me to improve. And then he would say proudly, this is the way we do it. <laughs> or in the Danish, <laughs> So growing up uh, in Israel with so many culture uh, to be influenced by, us kids will come sometime home with new revolutionary ideas, seeing how things were done at our friend's house. Our parents will say, very nice. Man, this is the way we do it. <laughs> With all uh, this uh, special uh, Danish uh, way, we had also special days in the house. One of them, for example, was birthday. So when one of us family member had their birthday, 
we will wake up to a magical smell. A beautiful breakfast table was set up, and in the middle there was those fresh baked birthday bun, all decorated with tiny flags of Denmark. <laughs> fresh bread meant celebration. Another special day was a Friday. My mom used to run a kindergarten uh, at our house, and she would bake halal with the kids. So coming home uh, on Friday was very exciting. As soon as I entered the street, I could see my mom standing at the top of the stairs, sending the little kids to their waiting mother. So you would assume the mother would run to hug the kids, but they were actually running to snatch the fresh challah the kids <laughs> were holding. Fresh bread was celebrated. I was kind of uh, attracted to uh, bread and uh, baking, but when time came for me to choose what I want to do with my life, baking was not an option. This is not a real profession. And that's how my uh, biology science studies start started right here, next door building in the university. Uh, because this is the way we do it. I finished my degree, but knew right away that this is a long way from where my heart and passion were. So I took a journey to India. And at the end of the journey, out of the blue, an idea popped up in my mind to learn professional baking. Voices in my head told me, this is not the way uh, to do it. <laughs> At that time, uh, 1990, the food industry in Israel didn't even exist. Is this a real job? Voices continue. What will people say? Is this a respectable uh, occupation? I was in a dilemma. And with all these voices in my head, I made the trip back to Copenhagen. And with all these voices in my head, I took the train to the culinary school. And with all these voices in my head, I entered my first baking class. It took just a few moments of mixing flour, water, yeast, and salt to realize I'm in the right place. But when smell of fresh baked bread came out of the oven, all the voices in my head disappeared. Silence came. It was all clear, and pure happiness took over. I decided to leave home behind and to stay away from <laughs> I made up my mind to become a baker and to follow my hopes and dreams. But now, after 25 years, I can say, you can take a man out of Denmark, but you can't <laughs> take Denmark so easily out of the men. Very often, uh, we have Shabbat dinner at my wife Renat's parents' house. And uh, immediately after Kiddush, her father Shlomo will take the challah and make the bracha on the challah. And then he will break the challah, put in the salt, eat it, and then break another piece and pass it around. Every time he breaks the challah, I can hear my father say, bread, you need to slice very neatly <laughs> with a bread knife because <laughs> All this time, I developed my uh, business here in Tel Aviv, Lechamim Bakery, 
and Brad's Bakery in uh, New York City, my Danish home stayed with me. I was lucky it stayed with me because when you make bread, you want to be strict about rules. You have to be precise, there's accurate measurements. If you want fresh bread at 7 a.m., you have to start mixing the dough at uh, midnight. So although my daily routine has changed, I'm still uh, very often uh, on the production floor. And once in a while, a baker will come up to me with different uh, recipes, <laughs> other methods and ideas. Suddenly I can hear myself saying, oh, very interesting, but Thank you. Hi, Ori. Thank you so much for joining us. It's all my pleasure. I really want to start using that Danish phrase like in my own life. How do you say it? Der demok vider? Det er demod vi This is the way we do it. <laughs> Where does this phrase still fit in your life today? Like I tell in the story, it's something come from my, my, my father. So it's also maybe um, kind of a struggle between holding to what you know and what you think and uh, still be open to so many new things. That's, but it still sits there somewhere behind, always. You grew up in Israel in the 60s and 70s. There were millions right. of immigrants coming and assimilating into Israeli culture and wanting to acquire like, the Sabra identity. How would you describe that identity and tell us a little bit more about if you had any pressure to adopt that yourself? I was born very, very soon, maybe just a year after my parents immigrated from Denmark. Although I'm at Sabal and born in Israel, in a way, when I was thinking about it, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm at Sabal, but still felt a little bit like an immigrant, uh, especially uh, the house. But it wasn't uh, any uh, different from most of my neighbors. Everybody immigrated or the parents immigrated in the 60s from somewhere. Mm -hmm. I lived uh, in Ranana in a small um, neighborhood where mainly Ashkenazi, but neighborhood around and especially the neighbor where I went to school at was a huge immigrant neighborhood. I had children in my class, I think, from all over the world. When I started school, it was early, like, 70s. Mm -hmm. you had a, so beside Morocco and from Persia, Iran, and there was a lot also from Europe, from uh, Romania, I remember, of course, from the Soviet Union, what was used to be Soviet Union in the past, of course. And uh, for your questions, there was kind of a pressure. I never felt like really like an Israeli tzaba, strong, like, uh, I don't know. But uh, so there was... A uh, way like to be a more more Israeli, uh, but going back to my stories is the way we do it. So, and maybe the very important uh, po important thing for my parents is to hold on to the Danish culture. Were there any other like differences or clashes between you know Danish and Israeli culture that you didn't mention in your story? Anything that comes to mind? 
the funny thing is that the main thing that, uh, were, were that we were different that uh, we uh, actually my family really hold uh, we were we, w- we were not uh, religious but tradition and the Shabbat dinner and uh, saying uh, the praise the Birkat Amazon uh, after dinner a lot of time uh, like people will uh, like by my friends my kids they will already knock on the door very early at Friday and we were still sitting in the middle of dinner and we wanted to go out and uh, no this was not possible we had to so most a lot of thing around uh, being a very traditional around actually uh, not religious at all Jew in my neighborhood this is the main thing I remember from my childhood Danish culture was something that your parents you you know, really wanted to hold on to, even mm-hmm. after moving to Israel. I'm curious, what made them want to make Aliyah when they loved Denmark, you know, so much? So the official story is they were Zionist. But I think also there's another part they wanted maybe to a little bit, uh, you know, Jewish family, everybody know everybody in Denmark, everybody's involved, everybody tell you what to do. Maybe they wanted a little just a break of the huge family Do you think that you chose to go to culinary school in Copenhagen to reconnect you know with your roots and and reconnect with family there, or why did you choose to go to school there? Oh, first of all, I chose to go there for a very practical reason. I spoke the language for the first thing you cannot you still cannot a little bit more than uh, before, but there's no uh, there wasn't a school for bakers in Israel. And actually, there's still no school for bakers. You can learn to be pastry chef, but not a baker. But I think more than all, you know, I, uh, Danish uh, pastry and Danish bread is considered also one of the best in the world. And they have a long uh, culture with uh, baked and Danish pastry, of course, and marzipan. And uh, it was very, very attractive uh, for me. But the first time I went there, I had no idea what I'm going. what it's going to be like, of course, the way, uh, like I tell in the story. Uh, after the first day, everything was very clear. And what was your impression at that time when you were there of the Jewish community in Copenhagen? From what actually I experienced uh, through my childhood, going with my grandfather to uh, the very beautiful uh, synagogue in Copenhagen, uh, if the synagogue is really, really special to go and see. And suddenly, if you go to synagogue, which doesn't have a doesn't happen very often for me, but you don't see that many many people, and you see um less and less people are connected to the uh, Jewish culture, and also those uh, cousins who are really trying to hold to but uh, now have children which uh, are less Jewish, so you know so the Community, I don't know remember the number exactly, but let's say just a few thousand of people uh, of uh, Jewish people, so slowly, slowly it's uh, getting smaller and smaller. And do you remember how Shabbat and other holidays were celebrated there? Like what was on the table? Yes, of course. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is a main event for the family, especially at my uh, father's side, where uh, we're more religious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, the one and only grandmother, my father's mother, that we called her Bobe. Bobe was a very dominant, uh, the head of the family, no doubt. She, in her small ap- apartment, You know, on sixth floor, no elevator. She will host, you know, 
it's unbelievable how many people were packed in this uh, little apartment and uh, again the very Shabbat was something very very special uh, and the re- very regular let's say Jewish food like chicken soup which we called bobe sobe bobe sobe yeah sobe <laughs> is soup bobe okay. is bobe like many jews i call it bobe bobe sobe is a, is a chicken soup of my grandmother with what uh, for me is the best and of course gehakte uh, leva uh, the chopped liver but my bobe my grandmother it's also something very danish they like a uh, very very high end ingredients but money wasn't uh, that available and she will always have contact with the fishermen so she will get the best fish but maybe not the best part of the fish and she had all her contact with with the cheese maker or the cheese uh, the cheese shop so she will always never missing a thing and always high-end stuff which she always knew where to where to buy and where uh, and where uh, to pick actually it's funny she owned a small clothes shop actually where all the ladies was uh, you know it was uh, the red district area let's say this was and she had really really small small shops there yeah <laughs> she has a clothing store in the red light district yes for for children for uh, i didn't say it. okay for children clothes so what? this is a funny <laughs> yeah she had a chill yeah she had it okay let's start from let's the beginning back up. The chi- children yeah baby actually uh, children and baby clothes in the red district uh, area this is a uh, was funny and i used to very often also one of my my first uh that i remember like a bread experience was actually coming and whole experience was coming and visiting her in her shop She knew that I loved bread. I didn't know that that time. And when I would come, she would give me a few coins. And she said, ah, go over to the, to the corner, to the bakery at the corner. And she knew exactly when the fresh bread will come, will come out. And I will go there and I will bring the bread. And we were sitting there in the back of her uh, small shop, just fresh bread, Danish butter, and maybe a piece of cheese. This is, was kind of a breakfast lunch and... Uh, This I remember, even now when I talk about it, I can smell the smell and uh, have the feeling of this fresh bread and butter. This was just amazing. I want to talk about your baking for a minute. Your mm-hmm. challah and your babka, I've enjoyed many times. I think it's safe to say they're legendary. But as you described, Denmark has its own strong baking tradition. How did your time in Copenhagen and, and your Danish roots influence your baking style that you're known for today? I think first is uh, the method. I went there to baking school, so uh, really all the basic learning I had there, uh, I learned there. But in general, although uh, my, uh, of course, the Danish pastry I really like, and uh, I still uh, produce uh, daily, I make uh, rye breads, uh, heavy rye breads, uh, Danish style, which I, this is what I mostly I eat myself uh, every day. But after uh, learning in Denmark, I actually went for long uh, learning also in France and other places. And I consider myself, although I learned in Denmark, I picked up so many I never actually wanted to 
Uh, or thought about myself as a Danish baker, or Israeli baker, or a Jewish baker, or an American baker, or French, or uh, I had also a long uh, relationship with Italian, uh, uh, with some bakeries in uh, Italy, which I came back and forth, was traveling to learn the, how to make focaccia and cebetta and the Italian uh, baking style. So I actually don't consider myself as a one style baker because I picked up a lot of things. Do you think there is a definition as to what is Israeli baking? I think it's still very, uh, for me, very hard to really define what it uh, is really baking. But maybe uh, what I actually told you just a minute ago mm-hmm. about picking up a lot of things. Again, a word that's been used a lot, melt pot and the... Uh, and it's place to to say here uh, to say here about uh, Israeli baking. But you see here, first of all, I I knew it before, but somebody reminded me that not long time ago. At, at least the pita, which is not Israeli, but the pita with the pocket is actually very Israeli. I'm not saying that it haven't done before somewhere else, but I think like mass production, uh, like the really the pita that we know now with the pocket is uh, very, very Israeli, and this is maybe the most Israeli thing. And the funny thing is just uh, also with connection to what we said before, in Israeli pita you can put everything, yes? Hummus, falafel, a schnitzel, uh, <laughs> french fries, salad inside, pickle inside, everything inside. And this is for me <laughs> very, very Israeli. Why is that very Israeli? To mix a lot of things, to eat a lot. <laughs> Bring us to like a Friday at La Hamim, at the bakery. When you're leaving on Friday afternoon, what do you take home to your family? Like what's always on your Shabbat table? Of course I will take my challah. Always two. And uh, specific those days, I don't know why, but poppy seeds uh, talk to me more than uh, the other challah I make. But of course I will take one, probably one festive. Uh, always when it comes to the sweet, I, I think uh, I have to think, what, what do I really, really like to, to eat? Mo- mostly, so again, for my Danish roots, it will be something with uh, probably with marzipan ingredient, like uh, my uh, Toscana cake or some of the tarts which have a uh, marzipan uh, element. Definitely I will take or a uh, milfoy or uh, uh, just a maybe French-style uh, Strawberry tart. This is a thing I will take on Friday home. Well, I can't wait to be at your table again on Friday night. Yeah, when, you, when we meet, we'll make it happen. I have one last hollow question. Mm-hmm. In your story, you talk about your father-in-law, how he is, you know, tearing the hollow on mm-hmm. Friday night when you right. go to mm-hmm. his house for dinner. But you still hear in your mind that your dad is saying oh the challah it only can be neatly sliced and you're in between these two worlds now i want to know how you eat it at your table with your children and where you fall in that (laughs) spectrum actually i tried once to actually break the challah like my uh, father-in-law did my brother looked at me in a very strange way. This was only already a few years ago. But now I slice it with a, with a, with a knife, and I'm proud of the tradition we had, and I want to hold it. And uh, I feel very, very comfortable when I go to my, fa- when, um, to my 
father-in-law and he break it and I will uh, eat the, the challah he break uh, with a lot of pleasure, the same as I do when I slice it with a, with a knife, but I want to hold to this uh, my father and my grandfather tradition and slice it with a bread knife. Because they are the most vicari. Of course, this is the way we do it. Yeah. Ori, thank you for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you, Amanda, for uh, wanting to hear all the stories. <laughs> Be sure to check out the recipe for Ori's challah on our digital archive at jewishfoodsociety.org. To end today's episode, we've got something special. We're going to dip into a little listener mail. On the last show, we asked you to send in a favorite Jewish food story in 30 seconds or less. Here's one of our favorites. Hi, this is Larry, a real fan of the Schmalzi podcast. When I was growing up in Brooklyn in the 50s and 60s, one of my fondest memories was the Jewish delicatessen food. Every Friday, like clockwork, my father would stop off on his way home and pick up corned beef, pastrami, coleslaw, potato salad, club bread for sandwiches, and sour pickles. It was a real feast, and I always looked forward to it. Big thanks to you, Larry, for sending us your voicemail. Next time, it could be you out there. This week, we're looking for hollow stories. It could be about making it, buying it, eating it, anything holla related. Just record a voice memo right on your phone and email it to hi at jewishfoodsociety.org. We'll share the best ones on a future episode. Schmaltzy is a production of Jewish Food Society, made with love in New York City. Also, we're still a little new around here. Be sure to follow and rate us on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get this show. Schmalti is produced and edited by Freetime Media. Our executive producer is Nama Shafi, and our theme music is by Yuval Semo. Until next time, I'm your host, Amanda Dell. Go to gate, lynch, 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 lynch.